This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. In his playing days, he was known as the Igniter. Now, he's here to kickstart your Sunday twin sticks. It's the Paul Molitor Show. You you can hit a mistake a long way. It's it's, it's fun to watch. There's not a lot of guys who can close on balls like that. It was quite a play. Just a dominant start by him. The Paul Molitor Show is sponsored by Killabrew Root Beer, made in Minnesota. It's how memories are created and legends are made. Now, here are the hosts of the Paul Mahler Show, Chris Atterbury and Jack Morris. And a very good Sunday morning to everybody. Jack Morris here in studio. We're going to have a little roll call. It's Chris Atterbury uh, in the radio booth down there at Minute Maid Park. Paul Mahler in his manager's office. Everybody aboard? Good morning, guys. I'm here, Jack. Good morning. Paul's there. I made it, too. I got, the, I got the mic here. turned on now, so I'm good. Paul, uh, let's start with uh, the All-Star break. Uh, obviously, uh, you were well-represented. The guys all got involved in the game. Miguel got an RBI. Uh, it, it was a game that I think uh, was kind of a slow All-Star game, but uh, i gotta, I got to believe you were pleased with the fact that uh, your guys got to participate. Uh, absolutely pleased with that. I, I think to have our club represented by you know the trio of guys that had a chance to go uh, you know, it speaks well uh, of our first half and, and guys that obviously deserve to be there. And to be honest with you, I didn't have a chance to watch the game. I heard it was fairly competitive, and it was it was good to hear the news that Miggy was able to contribute. Kinsler, of course, a clean inning, and Irvin got touched up for one. But, you know, I was, I was glad to see he got a chance to get in the game and pitch. Yeah, you know, Paul, a lot of people wondered, hey, home run derby, does that change a guy's swing? From what we've seen here in Houston, Miguel hadn't seen a whole lot of fastballs, but he's been very patient. He's hit some balls hard, played very good defense, does not seem to be any uh, after effects from his busy week at the All-Star game whatsoever. No, I, I think that, you know, when, when Miguel is taking his walks, um, understanding that he's not getting a lot of uh, fastballs to try to drive, I, I think that's when he's at his best because I still think he's ready to hit mistakes. Um, you know, you, you watch how he has pitched, and I've really noticed it in this Houston series, that it's just very rare when he gets a fastball, a fastball in the zone in hitters counts. Whether it's 1-0 or 2-0 or 2-1 or 3-1, you know, they're going to try to trick him a little bit and get him to expand the zone. And the more that he can, you know, understand that and, and maybe even look for those pitches from time to time and, and spit on them when they're not in the zone, he's going to help us keep the line moving. And if they make mistakes, I know he's ready to capitalize. Paul, before we move on to the uh, to the series here in the final game of this series, I want to go back to the All-Star break. Uh, obviously, for players, it's a time much needed rest. Uh, for coaches and managers, I imagine that is true too. Other than uh, trying to finalize a scouting report on Bartolo Colon, uh, right. did you get a break, or do you did you you probably had enough time just to reflect on when you're both rookies yeah. together? Well, <laughs> you know, the, uh, you got to go back in time for that. But, um, you know, the, the, the break is welcome, certainly for the staff and the hours that are put in and preparation, um, you know, for the various teams and series that we play. 
Uh, you know, I, I tried to get away from the game and put it on the back burner as, as best as I possibly could. To be honest with you, by Wednesday, you're you're starting to, you know, project into Houston and how things are going to unfold. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's The game's changed now in terms of the four days off. For a long time, it was three days, and it was a little bit more uh, of a quick turnaround. And uh, it's challenging when you're on the road after four days off. Uh, I, I saw where some teams tried to get in on Thursday and go straight to the ballpark and get a workout in. Uh, you know, I, I chose not to do that. I thought the guys, the break would be more important than trying to squeeze in a little extra batting practice. But I think that shows up on Friday. I mean, the start of that game was, was a little bit rough for both starting pitchers. You know, we struck out a ton early in that game. You know, guys, timing is going to, it's going to get off in four days of not facing any pitching. So it's just part of the game. Uh, I'm glad they get a break, and I think everyone's happy to be back at it. Speaking of that, um, because of the change with the extra day off, uh, you know, I think you kind of addressed it, but uh, I'll ask it in a different way. Sure. Is, it, is it a fact that you think the team is a little bit more rusty with that extra day? I, I think that it, it has an effect, Jack. You know, I, uh, I I try to imagine, you know, the, the times when, you know, you're on the DL or when you, you get a long break and you try to get in there. It, it's just a different feel going up against live pitching, uh, coming off uh, a break of that nature. So, you kind of expect it. We saw it with Joe last night. I thought his timing was off a little bit, even after a couple of days of batting practice. It's just a different animal when you get in the game and face major league pitching. With that, we're going to have to take our first break. Stick around. You're listening to the Paul Molitor Show here on Twins Radio. You're listening to the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Welcome back to the Paul Molitor Show. I'm Jack Morris in studio here at Target Field. Chris Atterbury and Paul Molitor are down at Midmake Park in Houston. Paul, uh, the Houston Astros seem to be a team that's uh, for real, heading uh, second half right out of the gates, rough up uh, Jose Barrios. But uh, yesterday, uh, the ace of the staff, uh, Santana, goes out there and, like Houdini, somehow magically navigates through some difficulty and ends up winning the game. I thought the bullpen did a great job. Talk a little bit about the offensive uh, power this uh, Houston Astros team has. Well, they, I, I think you're right, Jack. There's no question they are, they're set up to make a nice run here. They're, you know, 60 wins at the break. Uh, they are a, a fairly complete team. They're, they're, there's no doubt that offensively they just have a ton of young talent that continues to get better. Uh, I marvel at a guy like Altuve and probably the strongest guy pound for pound in the game. I mean, the ball he hit to right center last night would have been a long poke for a left-handed power hitter. I mean, it just was incredible. And, uh, you know, they've had to battle through some injuries with their starting rotation, you know, Keuchel being out and McHugh and some other people, and yet they still find a way, uh, they found a way to separate themselves from their division, at least, at least at this point. You know, we've had a tough time. I think back to the series in Minnesota when we had a nice lead in the first ball game against them, and we kind of did a late collapse. Uh, they got a lot of momentum, and they were able to carry it through the rest of that series, so... For us to bounce back after another, you know, ugly loss the first night after giving up 10 the first three innings, we, we came back. And like you said, Irvin, you know, he, he was searching a little bit, um, but he kept trying to keep that composure thing going. You know, he was a pitch or two away from having some big innings posted against him, but he got big outs when he had to, and, and we made those two runs stand up for a win. So it was a good bounce back for us, and, and hopefully we can find a way to win two out of three here today with Kyle. Well, that would be a great uh, great effort, actually, considering how well Houston has played. Let's go back to El Tuve. You mentioned, you know, this guy is pound for pound, maybe the strongest guy in baseball. What is it about him? Is it his hands? 
Is it how he generates uh, from his lower half? How does he uh, have the ability, to, as a guy as small in stature as he is, to hit the ball as far as he does? He does have great hands, and he can really fire them, you know, a little bit like Betts in Boston. You know, it's, he's just a tough guy to beat with velocity. He, he's, he's just got that type of quickness. And, and if you notice when you watch the game, he's, he's up in the box too, you know, so he cuts down the distance and, and still maintains that quickness. I think he's a tough target for pitchers given his size and his strike zone. He's got really good coverage. He knows how to foul off pitches and stay alive. He doesn't strike out a lot. And he really knows how to play to this field. It's a fast field. Um, he can chop balls. He can get it through the infield. He can hit mistakes a long way. Uh, his track record over the past multiple years with the batting titles and the hit titles and all the things he's been able to do, he's, uh, he, he's quite a guy to try to figure out ways to pitch to as well as defend. Yeah, and he seems to always come up in big spots. And, and I want your, your thoughts, Paul, on you mentioned he doesn't strike out a lot. And that's something that Corey and I have been marveling about all series. This team has not sacrificed any power, and yet they're last in the league in strikeouts. And everyone says, oh, y- you have to give up. Uh, you know, strikeouts to get power. They've proven that's not the case. How does that happen? Is that something you can replicate? Is it? Uh, have they gone out and found players who fit that mold, or do you see some of their young players, like a Springer, a Gaddis in particular, just getting better at controlling the strike zone? And can that be a template well, for your young guys? I, I think part of it is, uh, you know, is talent, and part of it's maturation. I think it was just a couple years ago when they were up amongst the league leaders and home runs, but they were last in strikeouts. So I think these guys collectively, probably with the help of their hitting instructors, have figured out a way to compete with two strikes a little bit better. Uh, you know, I think that our guys that have strikeout tendencies, you know, we hope to see that improvement the more they get a chance to play. But I, I just always feel that, you know, we've accepted the strikeout a little bit too much, and, and there's a way to... Find, find ways to, to get better at that. And, and Houston's proven that point by maintaining their power prowess at the same time cut down on their strikeouts. With guys like Altuve and Correa and Beltron in the lineup, uh, Paul, if you were out there pitching, what's your game plan? Yeah, it's tough. You know, I, I think that you try to understand that if, you know, you, you've got to be a little careful early, but if you pitch behind, your your danger goes up exponentially. So the best we can, we try to give these guys ways to maybe steal strike one, pitches these guys maybe have a tendency to take early in the count to somehow find a way to be able to pitch ahead and, and increase your odds of using all your pitches. Because we've seen, we saw with Jose the other night when he got behind, which he did on almost every hitter he faced, it just becomes really problematic. We're going to have to take our second break. Stick around. You're listening to the Paul Mahler Show right here on Twins Radio Network. And welcome back to the Paul Mahler Show. Jack, Chris, and Paul down in uh, Houston. Paul, uh, as we go into the final game of this series, uh, got to talk a little bit about the disabled list. Again, banged up a few guys. Uh, Buxton out with a, a little bit of a groin strain. Uh, you got uh, Mauer back in the lineup. Zach Granite, a uh, kid from the minor leagues that uh, seemed to be just tearing up a league, and uh, yet he's found a, a new level here. Talk a little bit about what you uh, perceive him to be doing here in the short term. Well, I think coming out of the break, um, you're always a little concerned about, you know, guys going out there and playing the game at, at the speed that it requires. And after four days off, I think there is a little bit of bump in the in the risk factor. And, and we paid the price the first day back with Buck straining the groin and those type of things. But, uh, you know, you, you just got to have to make those adjustments. Uh, I thought about Byron's situation, and, and there's a chance that he could be ready in a handful of days as opposed to ten. 
But when you talk about a guy whose speed is probably his best asset on the field as far as playing defense and running the bases and those type of things, that I just didn't want him to have to try to get out there and play before his legs were ready to allow him to do what he can do. So I think that was the right thing. You know, Granite's got an opportunity. Uh, we all know what type of half he had down there for AAA. Um, you know, he's battled pretty well up here, but not unexpected. He's, you know, he's maybe forcing it a little bit more than, than you would like to see him because you know he's a patient guy. But uh, I got a lot of confidence in that young man to, to stick him in there and give him a chance to play, and it's great experience for him. Uh, Paul, do you see him being the, the everyday center fielder in Byron's absence? You've got a couple other guys who certainly can play that spot and have before. No, I, I don't. I mean, I'm trying to get him in there. I think it's the right thing most days. Uh, today I shuffled it up a little bit. You know, with, with Joe coming back, uh, you know, my thought originally was maybe to wait until Sunday to activate him, uh, given the fact that he hadn't really done much baseball for 10 days uh, prior to getting to Houston. So I, I got Joe out of there today. I, I think playing two games in, in such a quick turnaround is not – it's a pretty high-risk situation coming off a back injury. And today, Granite's going to be on the bench. I'm going to move Rosie over there and get Grossman in the outfield, give Biggie a chance to DH. Uh, it's kind of like coming out of the gates at the start of the season. You want everyone to get back into a game rather quickly after the layoff. So I got Adrianza playing short and Escobar in there, in there at third base. So uh, along with Jim and his catching, it gives everybody a chance to play here in this first series coming out of the All-Star break. Yeah, this is the Paul Molitor Show brought to you by Killerbrew Root Beer. I, I want to tell folks we've got FaceTime Jack today. So we've got Jack's pretty picture here in the booth, and Lavelli Neal just walked in, and he thought it was Warren Zevon. He said he thought you looked just <laughs> like, like Warren Zevon. Uh, you mentioned Adrian's is going to play short. Uh, Jorge Polanco, he made a great play behind the, the bag yesterday, and a critical play to get a force out at second base. Uh, but he, he struggled uh, with the one play the night before. He's, I think, now one for his last 24 his calling card has always been the ability to make great contact from both sides of the plate, and that's something he struggled with of late. Is, is he working through some changes? What do you see with, with Polanco, and is the offense affecting his defense at all, Paul? Well, I, I think you could make that parallel. Uh, you know, actually, he's played, you know, the majority of our games, he's played a really good defense, and that was a critical play last night to get the force out to get us off the field. And uh, it's almost inevitable that sometime during the season, uh, especially a guy that's playing full-time for the first go-around, is going to have some stints where the defense wanes a little bit. But I think it's easy to connect it to the fact that he has scuffled offensively. I, I think the biggest part about his game is that, you know, and I've talked to him about it, you know, I, he, I don't think he's ever struggled at any level. And, you know, you come up here and the numbers are kind of staring at you. You watch yourself go from 260 to 250 to 240 to 230. And you try to stop the bleeding, and, and, and then you kind of get out of what you normally do. You start to kind of force your at-bats. You try to get hits rather than let the game come to you. And before you know it, you're expanding the zone and not doing the things that you're known for. So uh, we'll back him off today. Um, I know he's working diligently at trying to find his swing. And, 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 you know, I always I consider him a guy who takes good at-bats and knows the strike zone and puts the ball in play. And as, and as of late, uh, that, that's been tough for him to try and find a ways to get that done. Paul, uh, last year we saw Brian Dozier uh, have a tremendous second half, especially with the long ball. He comes out of the gate here down in Houston first series uh, after the All-Star break and immediately jumps on a couple heaters early in counts, and he's got two home runs to show for it. Is this a sign that Brian might uh, have the ability to have the second half that he had last year? Well, I'd be surprised if he hit 28 homers <laughs> in the second half like he did last year. But... Uh... 
you know, I think subconsciously players are aware of things they've done in the past, and sometimes it translates over into just confidence in how you go about your game. There's no question getting off to a good start here the first couple of games should bolster where he's at and how he feels about his swing. I think through the you know the, some of the minor injuries that he's battled through, and including the ankle sprain he had early in the year, I, I think offensively he was kind of just trying to find a ways to get through it. I think he's finally starting to feel closer to 100%, and I, I think that's going to give him a better chance to hit. You know, We all know that if, if he can get going a little bit, um, it just get, has the potential to ignite our offense to a different level. So hopefully the first couple of games are a good sign of what's to come. Yeah, I can't imagine Mike Fire is going to throw him a first-pitch fastball uh, in this one. One thing also, this ballpark could have been designed by Brian Dozier. I mean, this is a great ballpark the way it sets up for him. And really a unique ballpark, Paul, in the short porch in left. You've got kind of a beckoning porch in right, no longer a hill in center field. Uh But it changes the way you have to line your defense as well. Is your left fielder going to be in the gap? Do you have to give up the corner with that short wall? Does it pose some interesting uh, nuances and, and issues defensively uh, for your club? Well, a couple of reactions. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of playing baseball in here. It's it's, it's a little bit like pinball. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the ball in, in front of the dirt, it's taken tremendously high bounces right out, right out of the chute. We're seeing balls get bounced in front of the plate. They're flying all the way to the infielders. And uh, the, the infield surface is very quick. The ball jumps. We have the short porch and left, and, the ball seems to carry really well out to right. They had a couple of fly balls yesterday that I thought they, they kind of popped up that went to the warning track. Um, I, I think the best way to defend uh, at least one of your true indicators is to do a lot of research on how the home team plays their park, and you can learn a lot about about maybe the best chance to give your give your team a, a you know a good a good opportunity to defend is by kind of following the home team's model, and we've done that in a couple of places, whether it's been Fenway or Baltimore with their short porch and right. And you do have to protect the bigger parts of the field, and we've tried to make those adjustments. Well, we're going to have to take our uh, third break here of the show. Paul, uh, stick around. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions that's really going to stump you as we continue on the Paul Molitor Show. And welcome back to our final segment here on the Paul Molitor Show. Jack Morrison studio at Target Field. Chris Atterbury in the radio booth. Down at Minute Maid Park, Paul in his office getting ready for today's final game against the Houston Astros. Paul, today you're sending Kyle Gibson on the mound against Mike Friars. Is it a is it a any kind of special day for Kyle? Obviously, uh, he goes out and has a good win. The bullpen seemed to do a great job yesterday in uh, helping preserve the win for Irvin Santana, and you got a chance to win a series down against a great team right now. Well, I, you know, Kyle's. Kind of an up and down guy. We've spent a lot of time talking about him this year. You know, it's it's one of those things that we know there's a, there's some ability in there to uh, compete at this level. Uh, we just hope that he's aggressive today. You know, like we talked about with Jose, if he gets a little bit uh, in the mode of trying to trick guys or you know get too fine on the corners, you know, it's going to come back to bite him. So he's got to trust his movement in the zone and hopefully make good pitches. I think our bullpen in the first couple of games, you know, after Phil came in the first night, they did a nice job of holding down the fort and putting up some zeros. And then last night with Duffy and Rogers and Kinsler, you know, shutting that game out, shutting that game down. You know, we're, we're, we're doing okay on the bullpen side. We just got to find a way to try to get consistent starts, and Kyle has that opportunity today. 
Now, speaking of starts, uh, my final uh, question for you has to do with Cologne. Bartolo Cologne's going to pitch on Tuesday. You going to uh, dig up the film of your at-bats against him? Uh, he's a different guy from uh, 50 years ago. Are you sure? Was. So, you know, he's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you feel like you have a chance to catch a little magic there. Um, you know, he's kind of been the same pitcher over the past five or six years. He's certainly turned into more of a finesse guy that knows how to throw strikes and change speeds. And, uh, you know, we've gone through some starting pitching here. We don't have a lot of depth, a lot of options right now. And we'll see how he responds. It's, it's uh, a little, you know, ironic, I guess, that he comes back. He's facing the Yankees at home, and his next start after that would probably be against the Dodgers in L.A., you know, so a couple of big starts coming right out of the chute. But, you know, we're I'm kind of looking forward to see how it goes. It'll, it'll, it'll be a fun evening when he takes the mound against the Yankees on Tuesday night. Majin, a lot of uh, New York fans will be interested in seeing how this one goes with Bartolo on the morning Tuesday. Paul, with that being said, uh, have you had a chance or are you uh, at the liberty to discuss the fact that uh, your guys in the front office, uh, as you approach the month of August and the make-or-break time for most ball clubs, are are you a team that uh, you feel are still on the hunt? Is it going to be a buyer-seller kind of deal, or, or do you have any information you want to share with anybody? Well, I, I, I don't have a lot of information in that regard, Jack. I, I have conversations with those guys every day, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're playing it out. These, these things have a way of going through stages every once in a while. Some teams pull a quick trigger like we saw with the Cubs, and you're not sure how it's going to go. I hope that we play well over the next couple of weeks and put a little pressure on them to maybe think about doing some adding. We'll see how it goes. All right. Well, Paul, I appreciate your time. Chris, uh, you know, this seat is not as uh, easy as you make it look when you're sitting here, but uh, thanks for bearing with everybody. And uh, we're going to do this again next Sunday. You've been listening to the Paul Molitor Show on the Twins Radio Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.